Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Find written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Tier solo show for this week. Tim Torch will be back as a guest and co-host next week. Got some great things planned there. But in the solo edition, I want to go over two main topics for the week. The first is discussing uh, and sharing uh, as a free preview here for UTH Premium shows. Um, I have a series that's going on now at UTH Premium, UTHCISD.com, where looking at the wide receivers in depth, uh, these early profiles, the top, you know, 8, 10, 12, we're not going into super sleepers uh, yet. We want to see some combine workouts. We want to see some buzz, who's rising, uh, you know, who's looking at pedigree and who might be day three guys that we're still considering due to their profile. That'll be as this draft process progresses, but there's a ton of guys that have first round or top 50 projections right now in mock drafts. So going over that, and frankly, the wide receiver position is one where the workout doesn't matter as much. The, you know, if they're five, 10 pounds heavier, lighter, it usually isn't that big of a deal. We're finding in today's NFL, wide receiver and productive ones come in all shapes and sizes. So running backs, tight ends, quarterbacks, even to some degree, you can say are more important with some of their measurables, fitting prototypes, and quote unquote, looking or or moving as the part there. The wide receiver position, there's a little more nuance and that productive track record in college matters just that little bit more. Um, so the player that I wanted to share in this show, um, again, the, you're going to hear the whole show. Uh, it's 12 minutes long here is Brian Thomas Jr. So LSU, and he's frankly the secondary or lesser known LSU wide receivers. Malik Neighbor, Neighbors is coming out, and obviously Jaden Daniels fueling production for both of those guys this year and during his tenure at LSU. So this is the type of profile that you're going to get some bullet points. You're going to get a written form of this show at UTH Dynasty in terms of the uh, the applicable data points. Um, but this is where you also get the audio content. So in addition to Brian Thomas, uh, you have all the, the big names, Malik Neighbors, Marvin Harrison Jr., Romo Dunze already out. Uh, we've got Keon Coleman as well. You've got Xavier Worthy, Troy Franklin, uh, and already in the queue, we've got Ladd McConkey. we've got Xavier Leggett. So we're covering a number of names at UTH Dynasty where you're going to get 5, 10, and usually 10 to 15 minutes on these profiles on early comps. You're also going to get their production profile, their size, their best case, worst case, and middle ground comp, which is very important. A lot of people will just put in one comp uh, in terms of like, this guy's a poor man's so-and-so, or this guy's a, you know, a best case scenario is this. And, and again, that's helpful, but not really. You know, I talk about the importance of having a best case, a middle ground, and a worst case comp. And guess what? Not every comp is going to be uh, some NFL starter that had a long productive career. And that to me is one of the limitations. Uh, and it also goes beyond just, hey, who is a similar size and it has similar athleticism. You got to go into the production. You got to go into the probabilities in the projection model of actually being similar as a prospect. So here you go. Here's the preview of Brian Thomas Jr., one of the profiles. And like I mentioned, we're already up to a number of notable wide receivers out in this form at uthdynasty.com with the premium shows.
Brian Thomas Jr., LSU, and teammate of Malik Neighbors. They're going to have two guys uh, that are widely projected into the top 25 or so of this year's first round NFL draft. Brian Thomas being the other LSU back, one that, uh, wide receiver, one that I was tracking throughout the process. He's tall, he's lanky, he's rangy uh, in what he offers. He might be the best athleticism score of the round one wide receivers. However, 59% production score, and you can view that two ways. You can view it as, hey, he's, he's uh, teammates with Malik Neighbors, so he's fighting for second fiddle. He's fighting for scraps. And then you can also view it as, uh, so that's good news, you know, 59% could have been much better if he was the the man. And then the other point of view is, hey, you got to do better and risers rise and cream rises and Brian Robinson didn't do it enough. 6'3", 200, 205, 210 pounds, probably where he settles. He, he might threaten the the four threes, could be 440, 445, somewhere in that range, even with a reasonable estimate. Uh, also, quality touchdown scorer, uh, someone that uh, I worry about the drop rate a little bit. Uh, it's right around 10%. But after the catch, normally these rangy, uh, deeper threat guys, uh, one, you know, with a, he does have a 12 A dot, but a guy that certainly didn't play in the slot much at all 12%. We've got a lot of perimeter options in this year's class, especially at the top of the wide receiver board. And a 24% missed tackle rate is on a higher band of what you want to see. We see a lot of, like, Lad McConkie is in that range, Malachi Corley out of Western Michigan uh, within this class, um, Isaiah Williams. You typically see inside receivers, uh, smaller receivers, do well in that metric. And Brian Thomas, six foot three, like I said, rangy ball skills, 15 yards per catch, and he is doing work after the catch. So that combination is not super common. Now, the other thing I would point out, he's a one-hit wonder. He progressed from 18 to 19 to 20 years old. However, he only had one year, and marginally so, over the age baseline at 20.9 years old. So he is coming out at the right time, three years and done, major conference, 96-247 composite score as a recruit. So he was someone lauded coming out of high school. He progressed, and he was, he was progressing up a relatively... Uh, you know, a depth chart that when he started there at LSU, where's the quarterback? And then when they got the quarterback there and Jaden Daniels, you also had you also had Malik Neighbors stepping up around the same time. Um, but again, you Malik Neighbors, uh, with no excuses, 18 years old, ended up breaking out. Brian Thomas, not so much. In terms of looking at his unique profile with Brian Brian, Brian Thomas, again, I think he's going to get Brown Run pedigree. And the good news is, you know, if you fall in the first round, quote unquote, fall, then you have the chance to pair up with a better quarterback. Now, the good quarterback situations are all over the board in the first round. Obviously, if Brian Thomas were able to make it to Buffalo, make it to Kansas City, those are two teams in the later 20s that are going to be ideal when you look at how that could develop quickly or slowly into a meaningful role connected with an absolute apex predator quarterback. So I don't know if Thomas makes it. That would be the one caveat. A lot of times it's uh, beyond uh, Brian Thomas. You're looking at Troy Franklin. You're looking at A.D. Mitchell. Maybe it's Xavier Leggett, uh, Xavier Worthy, Lad McConkie, uh, Tez Walker. Those types of options are typically what I've seen in mock drafts going to Buffalo, going to Kansas City, because the top five, which would be relative consensus here, we are having a little bit of separation in the mock draft data, is Harrison, Neighbors, Odunze, Coleman, and then Thomas. Those five are typically gone in the top 25 or so. And that would mean 
Buffalo and Kansas City without a trade-up are beyond the top five wide receivers off the board in this year's class. So for Thomas, like I mentioned, his play style, uh, the fact that he's going to test well, um, and the, the one concerning thing, like I mentioned with the drop rate, um, and the fact that A dot uh, plus minus, which takes out drop rate, it, the differential is only 2.2. That is easily the worst number, and you have to be concerned with any wide receiver projected in the top 50 this year. It's not a death knell. But no, uh, no big round one hits have been close to that plus minus in the PFF era. So he's a bit of an outlier. Kind of talked about this on the Keon Coleman. You don't really want outliers unless they're in a graphically good way. This is not a good way. And the other part that kind of surprised me was with Keon Coleman, but also here with Brian Thomas, is just the concerns with some of his comps. He's also, if you listen to the Keon Coleman show, Thomas is also 1.93 yards per route run and all the same restrictor plates of we haven't seen this in the PFF era of a round one wide receiver being this low in yards per route run. It's concerning. Uh, Thomas, along with Keon Coleman, maybe A.D. Mitchell, getting round one pedigree, they're going to be rare in a bad way. D.J. Moore is the only hit. There's been four pretty much whiffs at the position uh, in, in the first round pedigree zone with this low uh, yards per route run. So this is not the list you want to be on, and Thomas fits it. The closest comps, and I think play style, it works really well. Um, I didn't even, I, again, I don't even take play style, but we can talk about a taller, lanky, angular, deep threat potential here for the NFL. And, and that's what I think of with Brian Thomas. Best case comp right now, pre-combine, DJ Mark. Middle ground, there really isn't a good fit. I don't force it, there isn't one. Worst case, Marvin Jones. This speaks to a pretty high floor outcome. This is why I have Brian Thomas relatively high on the big board at seven, and he's right behind Romo Dunze. He's my favorite of the Keon Coleman, Troy Franklin, you know, next bunch beyond Harrison, Neighbors, and Odunze. All three of those guys are probably going to get top 10 to 15 pedigree with some of these mocks I'm seeing. Brian Thomas is the best of the rest, in my opinion. And this zone, Dunze Clark. He had a starter season. He had a 16-point-per-game year in his first three seasons in the NFL. Marvin Jones, couple fantasy starter seasons, 12-point-per-game peak early on, first three years of his career. So the fact that his two comps, even the worst-case comp of Marvin Jones, still was a fantasy starter, NFL, long-standing starter. Really good news here for Brian Thomas. We can... We can uh, debate what's the what's the ceiling here. You know, is he going to ultimately be an ancillary guy? Does he pop up maybe for one year where he has good volume or good enough volume to be a top twenty or top twenty five option? That's what Chark did. Uh, essentially, it's what Marvin Jones was at his heart, and kind of looking back at his fantasy profile uh, now with the with the rearview lens. So that's my concern: is you're not buying someone with a massive ceiling or a long standing ceiling. But again, if he pops early in the first two or three years, you have options. And especially if he gets round one pedigree, he's going to have options here. And he can sharpshoot it. Like I said, I mean, I think the really appealing thing about him or uh, who else, or maybe it's Xavier Worthy, maybe it's Troy Franklin. If they can reside in that late first round, whoever gets Buffalo or Kansas City, it's going to be a nice spot. You're going to get round one pedigree. I like all of those profiles enough. Um, and if one of them lands there, I think that is an ideal situation. I, it was frustrating because I went through the the mock I went through that uh, came out or is coming out this week on a premium show, uh, the NFL Mock Draft 2.0, is they had um, 
uh, my favorite, uh, you know, of that zone, they had Troy Franklin going to Baltimore. So it means Kansas City and Buffalo passed, and you got Troy Franklin going 32 or, you know, whatever position they end up getting here. We don't have final draft position uh, as I'm recording this through, uh, through championship weekend. But again, Baltimore drafts well, and we've seen some mistakes with, uh, with Buffalo and with uh, Kansas City, especially at the skill positions in the first, second, third round of late. And that would just be another one of like, well, I like Troy Franklin. And then those two teams pass, Baltimore gets them. So I think that's a really important zone for rookie drafts, especially mid, mid, mid first, late first, early second of the wide receiver position on what they're going to cost in rookie drafts. So back to what we were talking about with Brian Thomas. Again, Chark, Jones, these are really good comps. Um, and again, I, you can blur the line, you know, in terms of like, you know, Chark and Jones, there wasn't divergently different outcomes. You know, Chark was a little better in his first three years. Jones, a couple of fantasy starter seasons instead of one. But I, again, I think this speaks to a high floor, lower ceiling output here and just being solid overall. Um, so for Thomas, like I said, I have him at seven on the big board. It's hard to think that unless he rises and he's, uh, you know, goes to a great situation, like I mentioned, Casey or Buffalo. And again, there's, I'm sure there's another one in the first round we could mock him to. But it's going to be hard for him to get over Odunze uh, there. Uh, they're in the same tier, but I just think in general, there's going to be a big enough pedigree difference there. And Odunze might go top 10. So uh, he could get up. Right now, I have his expectation at 11. There's been mocks with him at six. So it might be wide receivers, two, three, four picks in a row uh, there in the in the top seven to eight. Uh, that's in play. So Brian Thomas, I have a hard time thinking he gets up to five or, or six. And he's at seven. I could also see, depending on how the quarterbacks go in the first round, what's their landing spot, what's their opportunities, um, what's the infrastructure like. J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, they're all right behind Brian Thomas right now. But it's pretty close in terms of the UTH valuation, trade calculator, all of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brian Thomas slips a little bit through no fault of his own. You know, he still goes, you know, in the top 20 to 25 of the draft, and he could still slip another couple spots. The wild card is running back one. Uh, which is Jonathan Brooks, who sits at 11. So again, Brian Thomas could end up 10 to 15 in a worst case. But it, it could be no fault of his own. You know, he went at 18 overall. I don't even know what team that is, but it's because a couple quarterbacks rose, a running back rose, and all of a sudden seven turns into 10. So that's a possibility. Again, I can't imagine having him beyond about 12 or 13. Um, and I can't imagine him having him really any higher. You know, because Odunze, I think, is going to, We'll race them in terms of pedigree. Yes, they're all first rounders, but Odunze has top 10 outs or even top eight outs. And that really is a different zone than if you go 18, 20, 25 overall in the first round. So that's my take on, you know, there's a little more downside here with Thomas than upside. Uh, just right now on where he finishes the big board versus where he's starting. I do like him. I think there's a high floor here. But again, he's in this bucket of three, four wide receivers that they need a good landing spot. They also are not for sure locked and loaded round one guys. I think he's going to test really well. Maybe he could be a quote unquote riser when we get beyond the NFL combine. And all of a sudden he's more of a top 15, top 20 guy, you know, than someone that is maybe a 20 to 25 option as it currently sits. Next, I wanted to give you and secondarily a, a look at some of the data that I've been harvesting, updating. I do this every other year where I redo the entire breakout or hit rate matrix for UTH. And what this looks at, um, I have a giant, you know, wide receiver, uh, quarterback, tight end and running back index where it has 
back to the, the 1990s. Uh, it has their projection model profiles. I can sort it, filter it, slice it, dice it a number of different ways. And I wanted to go over three big keys here at the quarterback position. So I'm moving all these at UTRAN, trash UTH. Uh, you're going to get these in form. I the key players currently on the landscape and very buck. Also, going to date um, discussion. And one, uh, a couple key things, uh, just kind of on this. And then I'll give my three key points here at the quarterback position. Number one, uh, looking at elite versus non-elite profiles. Um, elite uh, at each position means a little something different. At the quarterback position, it means that you have rushing upside. It means you have at least a 60% uh, rushing score in the projection model. Uh, and again, this is independent of what your quarter, uh, your passing profile is. So rushing is the Konami code, and it's amazing the difference that it makes, especially in some of these tiers of draft pedigree for the elite profile. So I break it down between elite profiles, non-elite profiles on what your hit rate is. The other thing I wanted to break down is looking at uh, multiple hits, multiple high-end hits. So for quarterback, that would be top six finishes. So you have to have at least two top six finishes uh, to post that number um, as a hit. Then you have a high upside hit, which is just at least one top six finish. You have a floor outcome, which is one top 12 finish. And then I break it down between do you break out in your first couple of years in the NFL versus year three and beyond? And the reason I do that is think about your your drafting in a in a rookie draft setting, getting a guy from the outset of coming into the NFL. The patience factor and, and the, you know, the probability that they're going to be on your team still or on the other, your, your opponent, your league mates team still as an original OG drafter in year three and beyond, if you haven't broken out, you, you have options. You have options every day, every month, every season here to move and shake deal and 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 upgrade downgrade if for a pick um, all these things reevaluate evaluate your position on this player at at, at market cost so um, i think it's really key to look at the the difference between you know breaking out within your first couple of years and then breaking out later in your career and it's amazing the number of times that that early hit if it does not occur that you're kind of waiting on nothing at least in terms of you know coming all the way home and being a massive hit uh, I would say NFL stands like Gary Glanville stands for not for long uh, because uh, a lot of times the NFL and frankly for us in Dynasty, we're not waiting for you as it typically goes. Um, so uh, three big points here. Um, I wanted to highlight, first of all, the difference between elite and non-elite profiles. Um, so that, that would be the first thing. And especially I wanted to notate it for, for quarterbacks that don't go early in the, uh, you know, early meaning top five in the first round. So you got your 101 bucket, you got other quarterbacks that go top five, but how about if you're later on in the top 10, how about if you're in the top 16? So top half of round one, here's the thing. You look at those two buckets, uh, there. So this is again, where Patrick Mahomes went. This is where Josh Allen went. Uh, this is when, you know, where, uh, heck outside the top five was Justin Herbert. Um, so the elite profile here and about a 60% um, hit rate, uh, you know, outside the top five here for these elite profiles, you want to know the, the hit rate for non-elites. So these are ones without a 60% rushing score in the UTH projection model. We're talking about 10%. So 60%, 10%. What it means is when you're looking at those passing centric quarterbacks, the ones without much rushing upside from their high school to collegiate and now NFL draft profiles, that they're the ones that you need to avoid in this range. These are the Christian ponders. These are the ones without much of a, of a rushing profile that, hey, they're not viewed as the second coming. They're not lauded. They don't go super high in the draft. And it doesn't mean they can't hit, but what it means is you need to ensure that you're getting an elite profile. 
So that was one of the biggest keys because you look at overall, you know, and, and just bunch all the all the profiles together and the the multi high end year hits, the the high upside hits, um, frankly, even the floor hits, they're all pretty similar in this range. But when you parse it out, so again, that draft pedigree, if you're not 101, whether you're 103, 112 in the NFL draft, if you just look at the pedigree alone, there's not much of a difference. However, there's a massive difference if you split it out and you say, I'm only going to take elite profiles. And unless there's big time value, I'm going to fade those non-elite profiles. And that does matter within this class because we have a number of rookie quarterbacks that are vying for that secondary bucket. It's likely we get three quarterbacks in the top three. At worst, top four, top five. The point is they're going to go. And then we have that next bucket, guys like J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Michael Penix. And just a teaser here, not all three of them have an elite profile. So that's one of the big keys here is that in this class, especially we're going to be watching that draft position because the elite versus non-elite is a huge differentiator in historical probabilities. Point number two here and takeaways from the breakout rate and, and probabilities chart here for UTH at the quarterback position is later in round one and also on day two. Uh, these are zones where the elite hit rate is still about 35-40%. And frankly, that's higher than a lot of these top 16 quarterbacks in the first round when you're looking at non-elite profiles. I mentioned it's about 10% historically. Would you rather have 35-40% or would you rather have 10%? So what it means is those rushing quarterbacks, the ones that have the upside, the 60% score, as I mentioned, these are ones late in the first round, second round. Think Lamar Jackson. Think uh, Jalen Hurts. These are options that fit those monikers of later in round one, still got the fifth year option for those NFL teams or on day two. And yet they have a good hit rate there if they are elite players. So just because you quote unquote fell in the draft, don't uh, fade them. Uh, and probably the price point is going to be palatable, if not targetable in your rookie draft environment. So this is one where you need to take your shots. And again, 40% does not mean it always works out. Case in point, uh, day two, we've had some recent options. We had, for example, this past year, we had, Des, uh, or uh, no, in recent classes, we've had Desmond Ritter, we've had Malik Willis, elite profiles from a rushing perspective. Those haven't worked out at present. One that's TBD is Hendon Hooker. So Hendon Hooker is blocked right now behind uh, Jared Goff. We'll see if this works out. But those are three in terms of incoming to the NFL. Those were quality bets to make depending on price point. And again, it's still less than a 50-50 bet. But if you can hit on these types of players, mentioning Jalen Hurts, mentioning Lamar Jackson, um, options like that, historically speaking, there is massive upside here because they already have the rushing upside and they need to do enough to get opportunities. And frankly, they all, except for Malik Willis, you know, who basically had a smattering of opportunities and who knows if he gets more, um, basically they are likely to get early opportunities there to show that rushing upside uh, with the starting role. And then the third key takeaway here is the difference between the first two years with this breakout rate and year three and beyond. And here's the thing that 
it surprises me every time I look at it, which is the, the biggest differentiator for draft pedigree is the, the hit rate in the first couple of years. And what that speaks to is they're going to get early opportunities. However, if you don't, you go over in year one, you don't break out again in year two, whether you had big opportunities or not. The point is you get to year three and beyond. And whether you're a 101 quarterback, whether you're late round one or whether you're day two, all of them are between 10 and 20 percent. And that's all low. You know, I think a lot of people would say, oh, one-on-ones get a lot more leash. Uh, again, they're going to get leash, especially when they're playing games in the first couple of years. Um, but these round later round one, uh, the day two, they their odds are about the same. Now, the flip is you get a lot more hits early on. Uh, but again, uh, later on uh, in year three and beyond, all the hit rates. And again, a theme for a lot of these positions is it's down in like the 10, 15, 20% range. So this idea of year three breakouts, this idea that it's going to be, you know, that, oh, just be super patient. Well, the problem is they end up getting passed over. The team by that point goes after a veteran. The team by that point drafts over the top of them, drafts their replacement, trades them away. So that's the that's probably one of the biggest inhibitors and biggest barriers to them breaking out in year three and beyond is by that point, they might be changing teams. So uh, again, that, that's always what struck me is that, you know, this whole idea that if you don't hit for, for a top 12 quarterback finish in the first couple of years, oh yeah, just be super patient. Well, their hit rate, you know, even one-on-ones like that, think Baker Mayfield, think some of these other options like Mayfield, we're still waiting, you know, and, and it's only a 20% hit rate beyond the first two years. So most of them, about three quarters of the hits are in the first two years. So there's outliers. Yes, but just know they are outliers and they're ones that you just have to re-sculpt what success means for these players like Baker Mayfield. Uh, as a as a current real life example, that he's he's deep into his career, he had a uh, promising year, a nice bounce back year, a get a new contract year, a a back on the radar for maybe a multiple year contract allegiance here post twenty twenty three season, and he but still he has not hit for a top twelve finish. You should be skeptical of the upside. That doesn't mean he can't be a solid. QB2 for you in premium formats. However, we just need to have a lot of tempered expectations here for what the realistic upside is. And that goes, you know, other other players that are on this trajectory of, hey, first couple of years, they haven't broken out in different draft buckets. We have Daniel Jones, got a new contract. Doesn't mean he's going to hit for fantasy. Mac Jones, what uh, wins his next starting opportunity and can you pick it? They've already come out and said, Hey, we're kind of looking around. We're poking around. Uh, frankly, they, they benched him, you know, to some degree, hot hand there with Steelers in 2023. Um, so those are options where again, they're already uh, in th- year three and beyond for, for 2024. And they're beyond that highly dense zone of when the typical first breakout and first big season threshold achievement occurs. Uh, so there are your three big takeaways here from the, the break uh, the breakout and hit rate data. Uh, you're gonna be able to see those charts in full uh, as a as a preview over there at Patreon.com/uth. Like I mentioned, we're gonna get uh, Tim Torch on the show next week uh, here for the weekly show. And obviously we've got some great premium content with him always. When you don't hear him here, he's over there at Patreon as well. We got a weekly show and some additional content. We got a special uh, Dynasty trade segment we're going to discuss. We got Lamar Jackson up. We're going to discuss him for a few minutes this week, as well as other premium content topics. 
Thank you so much for listening. It's the off season. And uh, I did want to say one other thing, which has been a really good infusion. Um, in addition to all the great comments I got from subscribers and listeners that uh, participated in the UTH uh, annual survey. Uh, so it really helps sculpt topics. I, I love to talk with, uh, with listeners and followers, or followers and subscribers about what's working at UTH, what's not, you know, what do I need to spend more, more time doing? Um, and one of the things uh, is, is that I'm incorporating a weekly uh, mock draft. Uh, so I'm going to take a resource online. It could be a simulator. It could be a mock draft. That's one round, three rounds. I actually found a seven round one. I'm going to go deep into for next week, uh, but one is posted for this week as well. But every single week and really, uh, you know, just keep things fresh talking about the the rookie drafting lens and what this would do for player value and the UTH big board updates as we go through the process and barrel towards late April. Uh, but every single week, going to do a mock draft exercise where we look at the positions, look at where they landed in this uh, mock draft and what that would do, range of outcomes and all of that for rookie drafting. So uh, it's really something as a creator and an analyst for myself, it's going to keep me very much engaged into uh, different potential outcomes here as we go through the process. And we're not too far away now from the NFL Combine. We had the Senior Bowl behind us from this past week. So we've got combine, we've got the, uh, we've got NFL free agency, and then we barrel towards and through pro days and ultimately the NFL draft as we shake up that dynasty and NFL boggle container of situations, depth charts, and ultimately team per, team and player projections for the coming year and frankly for the next few years uh, for their dynasty value. I'm Chad Parsons. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. 